I have something brand new that I'm super excited to share with you. It's called the Community Creators Hub, and I've made it just for you. You can search through every episode of this podcast by keyword, download all of my favorite guides and resources, and find all of my recommended tools for community creators. And the best part? It's completely free. Just go to Community Creators Hub, that's Community Creators Hub, H-U-B, dot com to get your free access. I was recently a guest on the Agencies Talk podcast with Mark DeGrasse of Digital Marketer. We had an in-depth conversation about community and how it impacts businesses and also the future of community and businesses. We didn't just talk about online businesses either. We talked about the retail space as well. This is a conversation that brought up a lot of insights that I don't typically share on this podcast, so I asked them if I could share it here to get it in your hands. I hope you enjoy. This is for you, the online business owner who wants to maximize your profit and multiply your impact. I'm Shanna, host of the Community Creators Podcast. I've spent over a decade helping top brands and entrepreneurs create thriving communities that increase their reach, retention, and revenue. This podcast is where I share my best insights and invite you into conversations with the world's leading community creators and cultivators. So grab your favorite mug, fill it up, and let's get started. All right. Great day to talk. I think there's a lot going on. I am very excited to have you here, Shanna, because I think community, and I've said this a bunch of times online, is the future of both the internet and marketing, specifically because of kind of the events that are happening with AI, but also just the evolution of digital marketing itself. Because I think we've done this kind of commodity-based marketing for a long time. Paid media has been the star of the show, and the only thing people concentrate on. And now we're seeing this massive shift back to lifetime customer value, which we haven't cared about for a while. So I'm very excited to have you on. Uh, The podcast that we did, I think it was a few months ago, was I think one of the most game-changing for me personally, because I had never really thought about community too much, except for an ancillary kind of like customer care situation. But now I'm like, no, this is the only thing that matters. So very happy to have you here and great to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I'm glad to be here. And um, community isn't the only thing that matters, but I think it's something that most people just don't pay attention to because they do see it as just customer support or they see it as a Facebook group and they're sick of that, getting the at everyone tag. And they're like, if this is what community is, I want nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's so funny too, because we all know it. We all know that repeat customers are way cheaper to acquire. The transaction value is higher. Everything is better when you focus on repeat. And the basis of repeat should be providing a community, providing good information, high value information to your audience. But again, we just fluff it off as something, oh, that'd be nice to have. It's a nice to have instead of a must have. Yeah. And the thing for me is I have this retention framework because like any good business person, you got to have frameworks for everything. But the three things are recognition results and relationships. Those are the three things that make sticky people, whether that be your team, whether that be your clients, or whether that be people inside of your membership. They need relationships, that connection piece. They need to feel recognized and have the ability to contribute. And then they need to get results. At the end of the day, if people aren't getting results, they're not going to stay. It doesn't matter how much that they like you. And the beautiful thing about community, and when we're talking about community, we're not talking about a Facebook group. We're talking about all of the ways that you have human-to-human dynamic and interaction in your business, it touches on all three of those. And so we have some strategies that we use that can leverage community elements to make sure that we hit recognition relationships and results in the first 30 days, which are the most important days of somebody's journey with your business. That's fantastic. So when you say that the community aspect, are you talking about after conversion, like they're they're already a customer and then they become a part of the community or is it more of a proactive Yeah, I I think it's before and after. Most of my work is on after the sale, but I did a lot of work years before on before the sale as well. And the elements are still the same. It's just the end path is different. So if you think about a success path that somebody has where I need them to be at stage two in this journey in order to be the perfect customer for me, you can have a free community that actually serves to help get them to stage two. Now, a lot of you probably already do this. You have your email content to nurture people. You have your podcast episodes, whatever it might be. But if you think about your community being another touch point to help support them in getting results, not to provide free support in replacement of what your paid product is, 
but in order to give them what they need, get them deeply connected to you and to each other, that is going to increase their ability or their desire to buy from you versus your competitor. So if you can help them get to the point that they need to be the perfect customer for you, you can leverage your community to do that. We can talk about ways to do that. And in the midst of getting to that point, they're also building relationship with you or your team. They're getting connected to other people who are probably your clients who are hanging out in that community as well. They're way more likely to buy from you than they are from the competitor. Yeah, that makes total sense. You always want to go to somebody, something about prior to making a, a purchasing decision. And I think these days people are being a lot more careful with their purchasing decisions where it's not just oh, whatever, I'll get it from whoever huh. will care about where stuff is made, who the company owner is, what the product actually is, what it serves versus just, oh, it's another piece of junk. I'll just go on Amazon Essentials and get whatever, which we'll still do. But I think for any meaningful purchase, we're going to have this kind of relationship. So with that in mind, just in terms of, let's say retail, for example, what does a retail community experience look like online? Yes. I love this example because I have an in-person example and an online example. So my aunt actually used to own a store in a small town in Bismarck, North Dakota. And it's pretty hard to have a really successful boutique in a small town like that. So what she did is she added all these community elements to the store. They did sipping shops. They did celebration days. When you bought something for someone else, you got to like ring this bell. They had mother-daughter shopping days. So they had all of these community events as well as a loyalty program around her store that encouraged people to come back more and more. Now, she also had a Facebook page, not a group. But she had a Facebook page that developed a community atmosphere because whenever she got a new box shipment in with new purses or clothes or whatever it was, guess what she did? She went live with a couple people in her store. She shared everything that she had. She asked people to help style her and they got used to seeing her go live with her Lillian stuff. And then showing up in the comments and being like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to be there. I'll see you on Saturday. Yes, girl, we'll be there on Saturday. So she built this community without having a Facebook group. And then I think about my friend, Sarah Williams, who also had an in-person store. And then she was leveraging her Instagram account to build community around that in-person store. And so she was doing a very similar thing, but on Instagram. But the cool thing about Sarah is that she took that loyalty from her in-person store. She noticed it. She decided to build subscription boxes for people who shopped in her store. Now she has a multi-seven-figure subscription box company and now a membership that teaches people how to launch subscription boxes. And she didn't have a Facebook group for her subscription boxes. She didn't have a community as people think about community, but she built a really strong community on Instagram by giving them behind the scenes and sharing exclusive sneak peeks for members. So there's a lot that you can do if you have an in-person store to help create that community atmosphere. And you don't have to try and force people into a Facebook group to get it. I love that. And I love how it's not super systematic where it's, you do this and then this. And instead, it was just naturally, hey, I got new stuff. Let's yeah. see if any, what, how it does and sharing those kind of everyday experiences. Yeah. And it comes down to culture at the end of the day. If you can create a place where people want to hang out and you are a person that they want to spend time with and they learn or they have fun when they're with you and you're going to show up consistently for them, you're going to talk to them about things that they're not hearing about anywhere else and you're going to introduce them to people that they're not going to meet otherwise. It really is. It's people always want like the, give me the tactic, give me the engagement tactic. What post should I post in my Facebook group today? (laughs) And there are plenty of community people out there that will give you all of the conversation starters, known demand. They'll give you all of those tactics, but until you really understand the fundamental elements of what makes a thriving community, that those four components that I talk about all the time. So cause, why are we all here? Why do we exist? Why are you gathering us? Culture, what are our beliefs, behaviors, and boundaries? So how do we show up here. The culture of a Star Wars convention is going to be different than the culture of a Lego convention, right? Or of a bachelor convention. I don't know. I don't watch it, but I'm sure like it would be a a very different culture. So your business has a culture as well. And then communication, which is going back to, this is not just a broadcast channel. And that's where most people make a mistake. They're not asking questions. They're not hearing from their customers. They're not trying to connect their customers in the comments and make conversations Mm -hmm. there. And then connection, like how do we build a safe place 
for people to connect, which is usually the problem. We try to jump straight to connection, but we don't mm. do all those other things. And that's what builds the safety that helps people feel safe enough to connect in a meaningful way. Oh, I love that. And this is probably a personal issue I have, but listening is hard. And so yeah. I think a lot of business owners, you're always pushing, you're pushing the product, you're pushing the marketing plan, you're pushing for sales and blah, blah, blah. And the listening to the customer is tough other than doing, say, your NPS score and your official reviews and looking for testimonials for marketing purposes. Do you have any recommendations in terms of like real listening? Like, how do I listen better to my customers or potential customers? Yeah, I am actually a huge fan of surveys. So when I start working with a client, like surveys are usually one of the first things that I do. But I think a lot of times people just think about the quantitative, like the measurable things in surveys. Asking those open-ended questions is really important. So a couple open-ended questions I like to ask are, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about our services or whatever, what would that be? And I like to ask the question at the very end, anything else you'd like to share with us? Anything else you'd like to share with us is the easiest question to ask to get them to divulge all of the thoughts they have about your business that they haven't shared with you yet. So simple things like that, asking questions in your emails, asking questions a lot on stories and things like that is really valuable. Just constantly looking for feedback versus doing one survey a year. The other thing that you can do is to just listen to the conversations that they are having more. So I have a traditional marketing background, and I know some of you probably do as well. And they talk about market research. And market research is very different now. Market research takes place by going into Reddit threads, by going into Facebook groups, by popping into other people's Discord channels that are related to the problem you're trying to solve or the people you're trying to serve. And you just be an observer. I know we're often always coming in to serve, to share, to show our expertise, but sometimes we just need to be an observer of other people's conversations. And I promise you 30 years, 30 years ago, people would have paid tens of thousands and some companies hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to mic up a room full of mm. their best customers and listen to what they said. So sometimes we don't even have to do the work. We just need to be in the right room, physical or virtual, in order to listen and then one of my favorite examples of how to solicit feedback through social media about products specifically and future products is a gal named Casey Ho, who runs a company called Blogilates. So she was a Pilates blogger and she built a big brand. She had a million followers on Instagram, all the things, built this big blogging brand and then launched her own Pilates classes online. But she was listening to her customers and what she heard they were complaining about their sports bras, about all of the fitness apparel, about the bags that were made for men that they needed to take to their Pilates class that didn't fit them, all of this. So you know what she did? She started sketching. She started sharing those sketches on Instagram. And she started getting prototypes and trying them on and getting feedback. And then she built a million-dollar-plus fitness brand called PopFlex Active that sells out every time they do new releases. And now she has, her brand is even in Target now. I just saw yesterday that she released a, it's a bag for your water bottle. It's not a gym bag. It's like you put your water bottle in it and then you can put a couple snacks and you can turn it into a crossbody bag, literally from swimsuits to bags to fitness apparel. And now she does like casual apparel as well. She's getting feedback the whole time. And because she's done that, her products are selling out because she created the product they were asking for versus just creating the product she wanted to create and then getting the feedback. Oh, man. That's a whole other side of a uh, community that I never really thought about, but the product development side where it's you rack your brain. Some people, I've seen people spend five, 10 years of developing products that they've never shown anybody. And then they right. come out with it finally. And it's like, all right, now you get it. Now you're at step one. Because yeah. we don't know how anybody's going to this product and it's just completely backwards compared to what you talked about, which is show everybody everything and see what they think and then develop the product over time and you're not rushed with it. Yeah. And the crazy thing is people think I don't want to reveal that because then other people are going to do what I'm trying to do. Guess what? Sheen, that wonderful fitness company that just rips off everybody, has ripped off her brands and she calls them out on her Instagram and she's like, look. My skirt is on sheen and here's how it's different and here's why this is quality and here's why this is not okay and all of this. But her audience, her community is so loyal to her. They're going to pay four times the price 
to buy it from her because they love her. And that is the benefit of that community element. Sure. Somebody else can do exactly what you're doing and they can go sell it, but they don't want it from somebody else. They want it from you and they'll pay the premium to get it from you. I love that. It's reflecting the, when I moved to Austin, I don't know, it's still pretty much like that, but you'll see the big brands. Like I'm from Southern California. So you see like the big restaurants and the big retail stores and they're everywhere, but nobody goes to them for the most part, or nobody from here goes to them because they want to go local. They want to go natural. They have specific elements, even though it's way more expensive sometimes to be like that. There's like, no, I don't do big business because who knows where the product is from? The owner is not there to talk to. The servers don't give a crap, like all these different elements. And I think, or I hope <laughs> that everybody else is becoming like this too, where it's, you know, it matters who you're buying from and you want to support those people. And that's great. And they don't need to be a trillion dollar company to live happy and continue because they have a community that loves them. And that's how much money is that worth? <laughs> I think it's worth a lot. <laughs> Yeah, 100% is. It's the same way in Nashville. Everybody wants to buy local. And I think there are going to be people who want the cheaper product. There are going to be people who will buy from your competitor at the end of the day. But the best customers are the ones that you have that relationship with ahead of time or who came in through somebody else that they had a relationship with. It's that instant trust. And I just saw, I was just in the high level Facebook group yesterday working on something mm. and I saw somebody like calling somebody out because they were using them as a Facebook ads service. And this person, the moment they gave them access, took over their entire Facebook ad account, put a spam ad up and put the budget at $500,000 and ran up a ton of money on their card and caused their ad account, all these issues. You all have heard these horror stories because I know a lot of you all do Facebook ad services. And she's sharing about that. There are those people who will try to always find like the cheaper option. But the majority of people are going to look for somebody who has been recommended to them, who is a trusted individual. And I know how to do my research, but I will still, because I've been in this industry for so long, I'm like, if I don't know somebody that knows you, you're probably not legit. So I think mm -hmm. if we can speed that up, that helps increase our conversion rate a lot. And that's the benefit of the community piece, right? So when we have a community, even if we're not doing a ton in that community. But if we can go in there and we can see, oh, Sally is connected to Joe, how does that change your sales conversation? You've just looked, you've got a sales call with Sally tomorrow. You're connected because Sally is in your Facebook group, if you will. You can see that Sally is connected to Joe. They're friends on Facebook. Joe's one of your clients or you've worked with Joe or Joe's a good friend. And you're like, hey, do you know Joe so-and-so? And she's, oh my gosh, yes, I totally do. And you're like, yeah, I worked with him last year. He's awesome instant connection. But how do you do that if they're just a subscriber on your email list? You don't, you can't, you don't have that connection. No, I think the connection piece and just with the personal networks, if I think about, cause I get a lot of friend requests and all that kind of stuff. Cause I, I do a lot of things, but a lot of times I'll look specifically at who they know. Cause I'll be like, all right, which group are you in? And you'll see yeah. the five people you both have the connection to. And you'd be like, Oh, I hate that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you'll be like, okay, I know the type of person this is based on their network and our connection. So I think we're all doing it all the time anyways. And, and what sounds like you're explaining is how to do this on a community marketing basis that could lead to greater sales. With all that said, though, we've gone in the easy side of retail and maybe food. How do you think this applies to something more abstract like SaaS services or anything that you could purchase online that's not a product? Yeah. So I actually helped start a community for a SaaS company called Searchy.io and was a part of that team when we were developing it. And it, the best part is like when we first started it, we're like, okay, we're going to create this community for Searchy. So when you become a user or a trial user, whatever, you're going to get in this Facebook group, you're going to learn about it. If you're Searchy curious, you can get in there and learn about it. We were doing all sorts of like case study kind of things, people getting on and talking about different use cases. We were crowdsourcing all of that. It was a really awesome community. But what we realized is we're like, oh, this has just become a customer support channel because it's all of our users. And so we actually changed the name to like online course and membership community or something by Searchy. So instead of making the community about our product, we made the community about the service and the topic that we help solve that problem for so that we would attract a whole lot of people who actually weren't users 
into that group. And so it was easy for us to be like, this isn't our customer service channel because it was more of an info space and a connection space around a topic. And they were attracting way more people into that group. So that is definitely one approach from the online space. I think going back to the example of uh, Casey Hill and Blogilates, there's a lot that we can learn by not necessarily shutting down those discussions about community. I did a, a podcast interview with Sam Ovens, who runs the company school.com, school with a K, which is a community platform. And one of the things we talked about is how he doesn't actually shut down negative comments in his community mm. because he believes those are his best learning opportunity. So obviously, if somebody has a support request, he's going to hear it. But depending on how big your team is and how structured you are, you may need to obviously say, hey, you need to actually submit a support ticket so we can get help. But if it's just discussions around your product... Having those in a community forum will help you really quickly validate whether this is a legitimate issue that needs to be resolved or whether it's a one-off because we all have one-off complaints. And the biggest mistake we can make as business owners is directing our time and attention to adjust our product and services for outliers who are just outlier complainers, but are not our ideal customer. And so having those kinds of discussions in a community format actually allows us to see if this is truly impacting or a desire of our best customer other than just like this one outlier. And so that's some examples of how you can use it on the the sales side, the pre-sales side. And I can talk all day about after the sale. Like that is my yeah, jam. That's, no, that's fantastic though. Cause I think looking at the community complaint versus like the customer service complaint, cause it is very easy, especially from an executive level to be like, oh my gosh, this person says everything we did was wrong. So we got to revamp everything and rethink everything versus putting in a community. And just if you think of your personal browsing habits, for me, I'll be like, wow, that's a controversial video. And I'll immediately go to the comments to see what's the general feeling that everybody has for this issue. And most of the time, it won't be what you expect. You'll be like, wow, everybody's probably really upset about this. And then sometimes there'll just be a string of, you're an idiot that's not an issue. You didn't click the right button or something. And the, the community will actually solve the problem. And now you didn't have to spend a bunch of time worrying that this is, because what do we say? Like for every complaint, there's 10,000 people that didn't complain. And so you just had 5 million people complain because you got five comments about it. But I think that's a genius way to think about the issue versus freaking out about something that might be just a complainer and somebody who's having a bad day and you were the third thing to go wrong that day. And so now they're really mad and they're going to let all their frustration out on you just because they're venting. So I, I think that's a genius use of community and also for the SaaS products too, because a lot of times it is hard for people to get outside your head of the product, which I think Billy Bross, he's been teaching us about his five light bulbs and the product he has is light bulb four. Whereas light bulb one is what's the customer's problem and current situation. And if you can focus on just that one aspect, especially from the getting somebody into the brand in the first place, you're going to win. So love that. <laughs> so typically when we talk about community, we default to the Facebook group or actually that's mainly it these days. It's just the Facebook group. What other platforms are you seeing companies use? And, and let's talk about pre-sale to get people involved, start that conversation. Is Signal, or not Signal, let's say Discord or any of those kind of sub Slack. What do you recommend in terms of the pre-sale community building function? Yeah. Discord is really great for a certain audience. So if you have people who are really big into tech and AI, Discord tends to be a platform that they go to. The biggest thing with choosing a platform, whether it's your free platform or your paid platform, is that creating new habits in humans is the hardest thing to do. If you've ever tried to create one for yourself, you know it. If you move people to a platform that is not already in their regular rhythm of life, you have just created a job for you or someone on your team to constantly be activating people into that new platform, which means your sales never stop, which they don't. You're always selling. You're not selling stuff. You're just selling an action that you want somebody to take, which is participating in your community. So the biggest thing that you want to look for is where are my people now? Like where could they bump into my community? And so that can be really challenging for some people. That's why Facebook groups tend to be the default because you can bump into a Facebook group pretty easily because they've got so many people that hang out there and they're really good at recommending those groups, especially lately. 
Now, Discord, you can't bump into as easily, but there are cross-community recommendations that happen a lot in the tech space and the AI space back when NFTs were really big, that little bubble that seems to have burst for a bit. The crypto space, Discord tends to be a place where a lot of those free communities are happening and people are really familiar with it. But if you're just somebody helping a small business owner run Facebook ads and you try to put them in Discord, you lost them because just getting the Discord app and getting them set up is pretty challenging. I do love Sam Evans Community School, S-K-O-L. I have a friend who just launched a free community there and he had his first 40K month just four weeks after launching that free community and he had a challenge and everything built into that community. But people didn't bump into it. He promoted that community to his email list, to his existing social media following. Whenever somebody gets on your list, I highly recommend if you have a free community that is mentioned on the thank you page and in your first or second emails that you can drive people there. But if you're trying to use a free community to grow organically for the majority of people, you're going to be looking at a Facebook group. Now, once you get them in and once they're buyers, maybe you can make a different decision depending on the features that you need or the topics that you're discussing. You might need a different community, but for the free community, unless you're working with AI tech, NFTs, crypto, that kind of stuff, you're probably just better off with a Facebook group. Ah, that's actually, that's good news because I think the last thing that most companies want to do is add new tech these days because everything is like, oh, you want to, oh, we could do everything for you. Just install our platforms. Oh man, I'm so sick of trying to install new stuff. Then you got to train the staff. Then you got to worry about it. By the time you get all set up, you're like, I'm exhausted and nobody's joining. But that goes back to your point where it's like the the community doesn't build itself, especially if they don't know you. So let's talk about some of those methods for getting people involved. You mentioned the challenge. So how's the challenge work? And are there other alternatives for maybe communities that are less engaged with that kind of like active promotion? Yeah. So there's a few different ways. So my friend Lauren Golden used to have a free community. She still does. In her community, she basically did like a weekly live. So she just got on there weekly. She taught lives like a mini webinar. So just let's say she teaches on a topic for 15 minutes live in that group. And then at the end of it, she's always got her pitch for her membership. So either for the webinar that's coming up, that's going to pitch her membership, if it's an open membership, or to actually join the membership or for the free trial, whatever that offer is. So that's one strategy that I've seen work really well. And of course, everything, like if they register for the webinar, guess what? She Mm -hmm. sends them to the Facebook group and she nurtures them in the Facebook group prior to the webinar. Okay. So there's a whole strategy around that if you're in like the online product launch space. Another friend of mine, Joy Anderson, she actually does get a lot of organic growth from her group. She teaches people how to start their own preschools from home and she gets a lot of organic growth. So what she does is she uses the guides feature to walk people through an evergreen challenge. So Mm -hmm. she used to do a live challenge and put all this energy behind it. She's what if I just took that and I put it into a guide format, I wove in testimonials and all of this could I get engagement in the group? And we all know that if somebody joins your community, you've got to get engagement. You have to get them to participate right away or you've lost them. And so she gets them to do this challenge and the challenge really serves two purposes. One is to get them commenting and engaging because the more they interact, the more likely they are to stay, the more likely this group is to show up in their feed or in somebody else's, right? So she gets them engaging on that challenge. So every little bite-sized challenge step has something they have to share in the community. Okay. So you got to do this little thing and then you have to share in the community to get credit for the thing. Mm. And then if you go through the five challenge steps, you get like a t-shirt or something. I don't know. There's some freebie. I actually think it's a digital freebie. Her t-shirt is like for inside of her community, but she has a digital freebie that you can get if you can do all of the steps and it's on the honor system. But The cool part is this goes back to what we talked about earlier, where you can leverage your free community to create perfect buyers. So what she's doing in that challenge is basically selling people on the idea of having a preschool run out of their home and showing them how they can get 20% or whatever of the way there. And so they're ready. So she maps out the plan during that challenge. They work with her to map out the plan. It feels very practical. It feels doable. They've already made progress towards it. And she's been seeding the benefit of it the whole time, as well as testimonials. So by the time they get to the end of the challenge, either know, yes, running a preschool out of my home is for me. How do I do this? Join her membership. She teaches you how, or this isn't for me. 
And then that's going to help her retention in the long run because she's really just attracting people who have already been vetted through that Mm. challenge inside of her community. I love that. And the fact is when you're vetting those people, you're getting rid of the bad buyers that are going to cause customer care issues and a bunch of operational concerns that if you just had the right buyers in the first place, you wouldn't have. You're not trying to accommodate everybody. That's never works. So the fact that you can (laughs) test them out, train them, I think that's huge. Now, I will say, though, there are a lot of business owners that will be like, I can't give that away. I can't give our process away. I can't train competitors because if I train them what we do, then they're going to take it and they're going to run with it. How do you convince those managers and business owners that are afraid to disclose information because of that fear of everything being stolen? Yeah, there's this Tony Robbins quote. I can't remember who shared it with me or exactly what it is, but somebody came up to him at a conference and basically said, I'm going to be you in 10 years. And he was like, no, you're not. You're going to be me today in 10 years. And I'm going to be different in 10 years. Like I'm going to be 10 years ahead. And so I think oftentimes we hold things very close to our chest. And I will say, I'm not against that. Like I am working with somebody on a SaaS product right now. We're holding everything very close to our chest because we're not yet a year ahead or six months ahead. But I think there are things that we can share. There's that concept of share what, not how. I actually hate that concept because there's a lot of what on the internet. There's a lot of what. You can find it anywhere. Google, YouTube, howto.com, TikTok videos where 14-year-olds are teaching you things. Like It's all there. But when you are standing out by actually showing them the how, you're not showing them the how on everything, you're showing them the how on the thing that they need to accomplish right now to feel convinced that this is possible for them and that you are the person to lead them. When you do that and you help somebody get a result before they have ever bought from you, then they're way more likely to buy from you. And they're going to trust you and take action sooner once they do buy from you because you've already proven that it's worth it. That if they take action on your work, they're going to get a result no matter how small. And so that means that we have to actually teach the how. We have to actually help people get small wins before they ever buy from us. And when we do, they then turn around and recognize that in them. Because oftentimes we do things, we never look back and we're like, oh, I accomplished something awesome. So weaving in that recognition part, like this is actually a huge accomplishment. It may feel like something really small, but this is how it's setting you up for success towards this end goal. And oh, by the way, if you're ready to achieve that end goal, I'm here to support you. And this is how we can support you in that. Ah, I love that because it mixes the authority play. Like you want to not just, because I can show you how to do something. And actually I do that all the time. I have like our customer value journey, like single prompt. You can put in a chat GPT and here's the entire marketing plan you need. And I always tell people, I'm like, yeah, you have the marketing plan, but you, you don't know how to do it. It doesn't really matter at that point, but I could show you how to do the rest of it. And so it's almost like a mix of the concept of the teaser, authority, and then also compassion for the customer and whoever you're trying to teach to say, I actually care about how you do. And I want you to win. And that's great. And I want everybody to win. And so it's almost becoming that teacher versus just the authority that you should listen to because they taught you how to do something. Now, I will say all of that is not easy (laughs) because it requires you to take a step back from your ego and from just a 100% focus on sales and profit and instead put on the, I actually care about my customer and I want them to succeed and I want them to have a great experience just because they're people I care about. How do you teach that? Yeah. Teach people to care about their customers. It's actually (laughs) challenging. It's like before people join my group program, I say, you have to care about people's results. If you don't, this is not for you. I can't convince you of that. But I think genuinely, most people do care, but they don't know how to communicate that because they're just good at teaching what they do or helping and serving people. But the problem is 80% of what keeps people from buying your product and getting results is mindset. It has nothing to do with the tactics and tools that you've taught them. It has nothing to do with your ability to sell other than the mindset aspect. And inside of my programs, I teach you have to ABO, always be onboarding people. You always have to be onboarding people. And I think in our mind, especially if you're in the SaaS space, I said onboarding and you're thinking, okay, how do you set up your account? How do you upload your profile picture? How do you upload your first video to the tool? Yes, I get it. That orientation part is part of it, but you're onboarding people to 
the culture to the end result. And at the end of the day, we need people to believe that this is possible, believe it's possible for them and have clarity on their next right step. We don't have to teach them the whole thing. We can give them the big vision, but believe it's possible, believe it's possible for them and have clarity on the next right step. So if we take that onboarding mindset and we apply it to when people enter our world, whether it be through our email list, our community, through their first interaction with us on a Facebook ad, and we think of it as pre-onboarding into our product, right? Not sales and trying to convince them. And we know that in onboarding, we have to like at the end, they should believe it's possible, believe it's possible for them. And they know their next right step. Then we're just on a constant journey of onboarding people every step of the way. This is possible. Let me show you how this is possible for you because I've helped people in this kind of retail space or that kind of brick and mortar or this kind of online business. And I'm going to show you the best next step. It's to join my webinar or whatever. And we're just trickling to one next step after the other. But if we forget that belief piece and the belief piece isn't just, oh, I can see that I can do this as depending on the type of business that you have, it gets down to a core identity piece. So let's think about Couch to 5K, for example. Most of us know Couch to 5K. It's that little running plan that took storm years ago, get people off the couch and get them moving and adopting the mindset of running. I'm not a runner, right? That's my mindset. My identity is not a runner. So you can tell me all day long that, oh, it's possible to do couch to 5K in 90 days or whatever their game plan is. You can show me all day long that moms with four kids who homeschool and run a business do couch to 5K and have success. And you can show me the next right step. That's fine. I'm not going to do it because my identity, my core identity is I am not a runner. And so that is often like the biggest challenge that we face is people's core identity is butting up against the very thing that they want for themselves. So we have to be willing to enter into those conversations, which is why story-based marketing does so well, because there's this book called The Power of Moments. And they talk about how you craft moments that shape people, what they believe about themselves in society and are memorable. And I love that book. It's so good if you're in marketing. Because when we interact with people, we want to be thinking about how we are creating these moments that help shape people's identity. And we have to speak that life into them. If you are a a service-based person, you're probably dealing with a lot of people who have the identity of, I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't know that I can do this. Like somebody has told them they can, they probably paid for some program, but they're still doubting that. So you've constantly got to be feeding the belief of you're capable of this. You can do this. You are an entrepreneur. I know you haven't made a dollar yet, but you're risking. You're taking a risk right now. You're putting yourself out there. That's entrepreneur action. And that's what you're doing. And so the more that we can like help really speak the identity that people need to have in order to achieve the kind of success we're trying to help them achieve, the more results they're going to get. That's fantastic. Because I think it does go to the root and and really the problem of marketing where you think you could change somebody's mind. Like I'm going to write this amazing ad copy or do this creative or do the social post and it's just going to flip the switch and then somebody's going to be not my customer, they're going to turn into a customer. Whereas you're saying you have to meet them where they're at and you have to guide them along the process. And just me personally, like I went through that entire thing because I I was in the fitness industry for 10 years and I was convinced that all you had to do was train properly. If you train properly, (laughs) literally your diet doesn't matter, your nutrition doesn't matter, your mindset, your all the spiritual mumbo jumbo doesn't matter. And it took me 15 years (laughs) to finally (laughs) be convinced, oh no, training is the last thing that matters. And then it, it totally switched, but it took me that long. And I had sold my company to a company that was that mindset, nutrition, spirituality focus. And even then, even though I had worked for them and built their whole content platform, I still wasn't convinced that any of it was worthwhile at all. And even being there, it didn't matter. It took me my own journey of a million other steps to come to the conclusion that was probably the right way to go, but it took that long. And so I think that really highlights the need for community in this aspect because There's tons of people like that. They're convinced that their way is the right way. Your way is, yeah, it's nice and everything, but it's not me. And if you really want to get that person, which is really the most difficult sell you could possibly try to do, you have to go through this community function because you can't flip the switch using clever copy and creative and whatever. So I think it's essential. And it's hard though, because the investment 
let's go into the financial side of it because I hate to go back to it, but it's always you're dealing with these businesses that are like, I understand community is important. I understand the value of retention. I understand all these things. However, I have an investor and I was supposed to up revenue 10% this month. And unless I really focus on immediate sales, I can't do that. So I'm going to have to put the community off to the side. How do you get them to balance the focus, let's say? Yeah, it depends on the nature of the business. If you have a one-time sale kind of business, the hardest kind of business to run, then maybe community isn't the best thing to emphasize at the end of the day. But when you have repeat business, whether it's a recurring revenue product or it's a consumable or something like that, it's everything. And here's why. I work with a lot of people in the membership space. Those are my clients. And they come to me because they will hit a cap. They're at 3,000 members and they cannot get past it. And at some point, your acquisition funnel cannot scale enough to make up for the fact that you are losing that many customers if, let's say, you have a a 90% retention rate, for example. And so when you take a customer, when I take a client who has a retention rate, for example, one of them, their retention rate was 88%. We got their retention rate up to 92%. That was a 48% increase in lifetime value for every single member that they had. So when we actually looked at that for their existing members, it's like a $1.7 million increase over the lifetime value of just their existing customers. That's not talking about new customers that we're getting in the door. And I think the problem is that most businesses are really short-sighted. And if you listen to people who have built really massive businesses, if you listen to Alex Ramosi all the time, he's always talking about 10 years out, 20 years out. Are you thinking about that? It requires a long-term retention strategy. And the reason being is because finding the right customer is so hard. Identifying the right customer is so hard. But if you can figure out, and this is data and totally nerdy, but if you can figure out which of your customers now are your highest lifetime value customers, the customers that will buy everything that you sell, they buy your highest profit margin products, they don't really give you any trouble, you do a study on those people. Where did they come from? What webinar did they come in from? What launch did they come in from? What advertisement did they come in from? And then how do I find more of those people and stop worrying about all these other people? They can buy if they want. That's totally fine. But it's the secret of figuring out who those people are, repeating the marketing you did to get them in the door and the messaging you did to get them in the door to get even more narrowed in your marketing and your messaging, and then creating incredible experience inside of your services or your program so that you retain those people longer, you get that double effect of lifetime value. You're already getting the right customer in who naturally is going to spend more with you or stay longer. And then you're creating a better experience for them through community, developing more connection, building out a really good customer journey, post-sale customer journey that has the natural upsells in it or has points to make sure that If they are not taking action, how do we identify that they're an at-risk person and how do we come and rescue them and get them reactivated? All of those things can be built into strong systems. And when we build a really strong after-the-sale system for retention, so everything from onboarding, member activation, reactivation, failed payments, cancellation, comeback campaign, we can build a system for all of that. That creates space for the human-to-human connection that nobody else is going to do. And that is the leverage point. When we know who our perfect customer is, We build really solid retention systems, and then we use the extra space that we've created to create those human-to-human touch points that are really going to make the difference, then that's when your profitability increases. So yeah, you can run a ton of Facebook ads and get that ClickFunnels thing on your wall. That looks super cool, but y'all know this, but who's talking about profitability in that conversation? Everybody knows somebody who has that thing on their wall and couldn't pay themselves the year they got it because (laughs) they spent a million dollars on Facebook ads to get it. We all know those people. And so when we have the conversation about retention and community and lifetime value, we really start talking about the number that matters, which is profitability. As an entrepreneur, as a business owner, how much money are you putting in your pocket to support your family and your own dreams? And that matters. And so getting really focused on lifetime value is so important from a business perspective and a long-term decision-making perspective. And it starts by knowing who the perfect customer is, which is a high lifetime value customer that's easy to serve, and then attracting more of those people and then creating retention systems that help them get the results, build relationships, and get the recognition so that you can retain them over the long term. 
Man, that is a fantastic answer. Everybody should write down all of that because <laughs> that was a mic drop. <laughs> a lot of times, because I ask that question to a lot of community people, and it always goes back to brand awareness and acquisition a little bit. And it's about the relationship. And it's this very nebulous, feel-good cloud that everybody's like, all right, that's air. I don't care about any of that. I need some numbers. And so what you just explained was, hey, we're going to transition from that focus on immediate revenue, which you need, that's acquisition, right. to the rest of it, which at Digital Marketer, we talk about monetization, we talk about retention, and we talk about activation. And those are all the things that are profit-oriented, which are going to make a business succeed or fail. And I love how you called out the people who have the big plaques on the wall, and you're like, man, it looks like you're in a shack right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> what's going on? Where's all the money from all this success you've had? And it, it goes back to what you're saying, which is it's about profit. And it, it is all those other things that are the feel-good things, the, the retention, caring about your customer, building the community that's going to last a long time. And it's all related to profit. I think that was one of the best answers I've ever heard for that question. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I will take that recognition. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. I love that. I think one of the biggest opportunities I've seen is people who aren't utilizing their email list, of course. And that's a huge potential area for just starting the community immediately where you're like, Hey, past 30,000 customers that I've never talked to after you purchased. What about this? In that regard, let's say that do you have a simple step-by-step -step general process that a, a company that has never focused on retention and is interested in community building, what could they do today to start the process? Yeah. The biggest mistake people make with community building is they tell people that they've created a community and they give them no reason to join. So I'm usually talking to marketers. I was just foxing a friend about this yesterday because she's about to start a new community about building movements. And she was like, I see so many communities start and then they die. What's the difference? And I think that's the key. Getting people into your community, especially if a large email list is actually not usually the problem. It's mm -hmm. keeping the community from dying once it starts. And so to get people in, we have to be really clear on the cause that first C in community building. And that's we have to have a purpose. Why should they be there? This goes back to marketing 101, but we have to have compelling reasons for people to take their attention away from whatever they're watching on TV right now or whatever's in their inbox and actually take a moment out of their day to click the button, to join the thing, to fill out your community questions, to get in. They've got to have a good juicy reason why. And so you're good at creating a compelling offer. Just create a compelling offer for getting people into the community. And then secondly, we have to give them a reason why they need to stay paying attention. Why do they need to continue to pay attention? Why do we need to engage? And that's where building momentum early on can be really helpful. So if you think about something that you already do, you already do a webinar, you already do challenges, you already do maybe Jeff Walker's product launch formula, four-part video series, you're already doing something. Then you just take that and you do it in the community. So you launch your community, you set your date, you're teasing people a couple of weeks up leading up to that, hearing from them, asking good discussion questions, things that you're going to leverage inside of your little mini launch. And then you do it and you don't have to sell anything on the back end. You do the challenge, you make sure that every time you give them a new challenge prompt or you teach them a new thing, you give them the link to go back to the community to join the discussion. And you tell them specifically, very clearly what you want them to do. What's your best takeaway? That makes people think. People don't like to think. Have you done X, Y, or Z? If yes, let us know in the community. Just really simple things to get them in the habit of posting. And then you have to know what your next thing is. Communities do not maintain on their own. I'll just say this. And you can. I know people that have communities of 50,000 people. They just let them die. And then they bring them back to life right before their launch. And then they do their launch, right? There are people that do that. But if you're not that, if you're always selling, then you've always got to have a reason for them to come back. Doing a live once a week, doing a live Q&A once a month, making sure that you've always got something on the calendar for them to look forward to. But at the end of the day, like you've got to leverage that email list. You sent them the email once and you said, come join our community. Send it again. You need to come be in the community tomorrow because we're doing a live community Q&A with Mark DeGrasse and it's not going to be shared anywhere else. So you need to come so that you can ask questions. So you do some exclusive things in the community every now and then you drive them back to the community and it gives you another reason to promote it. And so it's just, 
it all works together. If you just have a little schedule of things you're going to be doing in your community, it gives you another reason to talk about it to your email list. And it gives you a compelling reason to drive them back into the community. I love that. Yeah. It sounds like a lot, but really, if you just sat down and just did a simple plan, Hey, here's what we're going to do for the next eight weeks. It's not complicated. It doesn't have to be. You're already doing it. If you're already doing a podcast, it's literally, I know people who started their communities because they did their podcast and they broadcast it live into their Facebook group. And then once they stopped recording, they would answer questions from people inside of the Facebook group. So the benefit Mm -hmm. for them is they get a Q and a, they get a deeper discussion and they get it before anybody else does. Cause if you're like me, I'd batch my podcast out two months in advance. So that's a huge advantage. And you're not actually doing much else. You're just streaming it into the group and staying on for an extra 30 minutes to answer some questions. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Cause you're doing all this work and, and we do the same thing where we have just hours and hours of content that we've created and we're like, and the content's done. See you yeah. later. <laughs> then, yeah. But why not just repurpose it, build the community, have people ask questions. And there's always follow-up like that, that sometimes you'll watch a video and you're like, oh man, I really wish I could have seen that live because I would have asked this one question that would have been amazing to hear the answer to. And what you just said means you could provide that and it's super simple. And now you have a community function that can help you build that community base. So it sounds like you have many frameworks for community. Where can people learn more about those and maybe use your services? Yeah, you can find everything coming out with me at shanalyn.com, S-H-A-N-A-L-Y-N-N.com. And we have a free community creators hub that you can get access to that has like all of our free stuff in there. And it has a searchable database of our podcast. And it even has a little AI tool where you can ask questions of the AI bot, and it's going to answer you based on what it's learned from my podcast. So if you want access to my brain without having access to my brain, you can get it for free in the Community Creators Hub, just communitycreatorshub.com. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Anna. Uh, really appreciate your time. appreciate the work that you're doing. And like I said, I think you have one of the most practical, financially viable arguments for developing a community. And I hope you succeed. And I hope you tell everybody about it because it's super useful. And it, like I said, I think it's the future of business. You're doing a great job. Yeah, thanks. Good to hang out with you. Have a good weekend. Hey, if you're serious about creating a thriving online community, then you need to really understand the four foundations of every thriving community. I'm going to teach it to you in a free seven-minute training. That's right. It's just seven minutes. You don't even have to give me your email address to get access. All you have to do is go to freecommunitytraining.com or DM me the word training over on Instagram to get access. Hey friend, thanks for listening. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe. Then do me a favor and leave a review letting me know what you want to hear more of. To learn more about the show or connect with me, head to shanalyn.com. That's S-H-A-A-L-Y-N-N.com. Until next time.